and when I start and when I decide to start to roast, when I was ready to launch my brand, the authorities told me that I cannot do it because the law didn't accept anyone to go and roast unless they have an insurance policy that at the moment will cost me 150,000 US dollars. The government, because of a poor mentality, I will say, or poor thinking, and the government thinks that the more green coffee we can produce of high quality to export, the better the country because they will have more US currency to import other, other things. We never promote the idea of roasting coffees at origin because we believe that we don't know that and that the only ones that know it were, were the consuming countries. But as I said, I have never seen a container of grapes leaving France to make the champagne in New York. Champagne is made in Champagne, France. Coffee needs to be roasted in the producing countries and that's where the, the colonization start to appear. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host Vadia Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Luis Fernando Velez, founder of Amor Perfecto, Decolonize Coffee. He joins us from Bogota, Colombia. Welcome, Luis. Thank you very much for the invitation, Vidya. I'm really happy to talk about our idea of decolonizing coffee and decolonizing the coffee industry. Coffee is grown all over the world, from Indonesia to South America and everywhere in between. Who were the first people who cultivated coffee? There are many histories about how coffee was discovered by the humans. There is, to me, the most beautiful story about is the Kaldi idea. He was a shepherd in the Ethiopian mountains. He saw part of the chips eat a red berry, and when they eat that berry, they came back very excited. Mm -hmm. So he went to take those cherries, and suddenly some of those cherries went into the fire, and all that beautiful smell of the cherries being roasted caught his attention. And since then, as said, the human being is trying to make fit that smell into the taste. When was that? What year approximately did that happen? History talk about the idea that it happens about in the 1,250 or something like that. And I love that question because when you think that we have a commercial in the past, that in the sopa, when Jesus Christ was having dinner with the apostles in the sopa, I said they drink wine and have bread. Mm -hmm. Maybe the story will be different if they drink coffee. <laughs> That's a good one. So when did it come to South America? It was bring to South America by Dutchmans. It comes first through the Caribbean 
And into Colombia, it was sense that it came with the Jesuits through the Orinoco River. Mm-hmm. And it arrives first to the department of Santander in Colombia at San Juan de las Palmas. Nowadays, there's people that are saying that at the same time, the British came to Sierra Nevada, Santa Marta. And it was kind of like from the north in Sierra Nevada and in Santander through the Orinoco River. But at the end of the day, it came to Colombia from the north and it started to spread to the center in Cundinamarca and then to Antioquia and then it goes down to the south. And that's one of the most beautiful things of the Colombian coffee, which is that Colombia has coffee from latitude zero to latitude 11. And if you take all Central America, in all Central America, coffee is grown from Boquete in Panama to Chiapas in Mexico, and there is only seven degrees of latitude. So Colombia has four more latitudes in which we grow coffee, but it's not only that, because Central America has only one mountain range, and the Andes opens in Colombia in three completely different branches, the east, the central, and the west. But not only that, at the end, there is the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta, which is a completely different geographical accident in which we also grow coffee. Talking about the geography, for the listeners who are not familiar with the um, countries that border you. So you're bordered on Venezuela and uh, East and Ecuador? Colombia bordered with the Atlantic Sea, then Venezuela, then Brazil, then Peru, Ecuador, and then the Pacific Ocean. A really very beautiful, verdant part of the continent. Yeah, but the beauty of that is that Talking about coffee, there is no any other country with such a diversity Mm -hmm. because it has the influences of the Pacific from the West, the Atlantic from the North, all the Amazon region, Brazil and the Amazon River. But also when you talk about Colombia, because the Andes, let's say, that born in Chile and it goes up through all the South, but when it arrives to Colombia, it opens in the tree. So for coffee to grow, I'm assuming you needed a more tropical climate. Coffee grows in the tropics. And you talked about the Sierra Madres and all the other different mountain ranges. Why is that important? Is it because of the terrace plantation? Not the terrace plantation, but the different levels of the land. And remember that the Arabica coffee needs to be planted up to 1,400 because Robusta grows from 200 to 900, but Arabica's grown from 1,300 to 2,000. So when you have three different mountain ranges from the Andes plus the Sierra Nevada, it means that you have a completely different variety of possibilities, landscapes and microclimates and different sea levels to grow the coffee. 
So that's a perfect segue for us. What are the most popular types of varieties of coffee? You know, When you talk about coffee, there are two main families, the Robusta family and the Arabica family. And as you may know, out of the, the Arabicas, there are a lot of different coffee tree families, mm-hmm. which is Tipica, Bourbon, Castillo, and then there are a lot of, I mean, there are some that 100% natural breed, but also lab breed. Colombia has an institution that is called Semicafe that is been working in varieties resistant to the rust leaf. Rust leaf is a very complex fungus that destroy the coffee plantations, especially in the humid times. We all know that the main thing to develop fungus is when you have humidity. So when you have humidity, the fungus is very easy to spread. But not only that, if you don't have, if you haven't feed the plant enough, if you haven't put enough fertilizer and if the, in, and if the plant is not strong, then the rose leaf will arrive and destroy it. Mm-hmm. So Colombia create a lot of different varieties resistant to the rose leaf, like Barrial Colombia, and there are a lot of different Castillos. So Colombia has nowadays almost all kind of varieties that are part of the family of the Robusta. And so we have Típica, Bourbon, Maragogipe, Caturra, Pacamaras that was developed in Salvador. We have Geishas, we have Eugenoides. We have many, many different varieties. But the main variety, the most popular one, is the resistant to the rose leaf, which is the Castillo and the Varial Colombia. So our family, when I grew up in India, we are from South India, where we primarily drink coffee. Coffee is almost a religion. And we roasted our own uh, beans. My mom would go to the coffee cooperative, buy the beans and roast it. But each family would have a different blend of coffee beans that they would put. Mom would do Arabica and Peaberry, and my in-laws would uh, mix Peaberry, Arabica, and a little bit of um, chicory. So do you have Peaberry? Peaberry is a hybrid, right? What I know about Peaberry is not that it's, it's a variety. Peaberry is a kind of bean that comes out of the plants when the plant is a little bit old, and that happens when the berry doesn't open in two seeds, but only in one seed. Mm-hmm. So that in the past, pea berries was kind of like, uh, we lost the pea berries into the low qualities, because when you start to sort the different sizes, the small ones goes with the leftovers. But at some point, somebody says, look, we are missing these small seeds that are really good, but because of the classification in the size, we are losing them. And finally, what happened is that somebody says, let's take the pea berries apart. But if you have Arabica pea berries, it's not a variety. Any variety of Arabica can produce pea berries. But the point is that those pea berries 
a really nice coffees if you do all the process in a good way. Because remember that geography and climate is only 40% of the total result of the coffee, of the quality of the cup. Because 60% is all the job that the coffee grower makes in the after harvest or the post harvest. And not even the post harvest. 60% is all the job that the coffee grower does since the point of the picking. And actually what you say about Peaberry is really accurate because I remember the seed almost looks like it's a half. Yeah. We call it in Tamil, the language that my family speaks, it's called tattai, which means flat, flat seeds, you know. And so what are the processes that takes the green beans to the coffee that we know? One of the most important changes in the coffee industry in the last 15 years in Colombia, I would say, is that coffee growers realized that if they wanted to have a high-quality coffee or a coffee with a score up to 85, they need to pick the cherry at the perfect ripeness. And how to make sure when the perfect ripeness is, is not something just according with the tradition. Because, for example, in Caturra variety, the perfect ripeness was kind of red. Mm -hmm. But when the Castillo appears, the pickers start to pick the same color of the Caturra. But then researchers came and said, no, let's measure the amount of sugar according with the BRICS standards and see which is the perfect type of ripeness. So what would determine the perfect type of ripeness? The sugar as per the BRICS standard? Exactly. So InnovaKit, which is a partner that we have, it's a company that was created by Hugo Lopez and Silvana Jandar. They did research at Semicafe, and in that research, they discovered that if they bring a refractometer to the field and measure the amount of bricks, squeezing the cherry and putting the juices of the cherry in the refractometer and measure the amount of bricks, they will see that cherry that is between red and green has X amount of bricks. A cherry that is completely red has another amount of bricks. And a cherry that is almost purple has a completely different amount of bricks. Mm -hmm. So it means that in Castillo, for example, is more arriving to the purple, the perfect moment to pick the cherry. And that point is a huge difference when you pick the cherry at that point than when you pick the cherry when it's not completely ripe. If you pick in the perfect ripeness, you will have the perfect sweetness in the cup and the more complex flavor in the cup. You talked about sugar and fructose and glucose in the coffee. I thought coffee had caffeine. Coffee has caffeine and has more than up to now. The human, all the research have found that the coffee has more than 1,200 components between antioxidants, phenols, uh, chlorogenic acids, 
acids, phosphoric acid, acetic acids, many, many, many components. So the more you can capture at the moment of the roasting, the more complex the cup. Why is it important for the sugar level to be perfect as per your bricks for each variety of coffee? Because the more sugar you have in the cherry, the more sugar you will have in the seed and the more complex flavors you will have in the cup. Because a cherry with no sugar, it's a seed without sugar, it's a seed without complexity. Because sugar at some point is what creates the complexity of the coffee. Mm -hmm. And that's why we will talk later about roasting at origin and the amount of sugars and fructose, glucose and glutamine in the seed that when you have all those components, when you roast the coffee, you will have a very complex cup of coffee. When you roast a seed without those elements, which is what happened when the people roast in the consuming countries, then you don't have that complexity, so you don't have the beauty of the cups when you roast a tori. How does the farmer or the picker know the exact color? Because you said one has to be reddish, one has to be more purplish. How do they know the exact color and the ripeness? Because they are not going around with the refractometer, right? The grower asks the pickers to pick at the perfect ripeness according with the color of the cherry. So for the picker to know the exact moment, we paint the nail of the pickers to have the reference of the perfect color they need to pick the cherry. That's such an interesting transition from a high-tech to a very low-tech way to figure out what is the exact ripeness. So after they are picked, what happens to the coffee? Then you have to decide what kind of process are you going to make. If you are going to make natural, if you are going to make honey, or if you are going to make fully washed. If you said, okay, I'm going to make natural, so the idea is to decide if you want to ferment or if you don't want to ferment. If you want to ferment, there will be a purpose of why to ferment. What do you want to increase? If you are going to make a... There are many kind of different types of fermentations today. Mm -hmm. You ferment for X amount of hours, and then you bring it to a beds in a very dry place to dry with a very high control of temperature and humidity. Because when you do naturals, you have a very high risk to over-ferment, and that over-ferment brings you a flavor that I won't say is good, or bad, I will say there is people that love blue cheese and there is people that don't like blue cheese. It is each one's palate what they want in the coffee. And I will say each one's palate and how you grow that. So now you have the coffee. We have decided that we want to go with the Colombian natural wash coffee. What would be the next step? We don't want to ferment it, say. Be careful. Not natural Colombian wash coffees, Colombian wash. When you do Colombian wash, what you do is you take the cherry, you depop it, you bring it to a water tank to ferment it, which is take out the mucilage, 
then you wash it and then you dry it. That is a fully washed Colombian coffee. You talked about how the flavor is altered when it's roasted, not near where it's grown. The latest trend in America is fresh roasted coffee. They have roasteries down the street here, there. You go there and you buy your coffee. Are they sort of doing a disservice to coffee lovers like me? The point is the following. You can never talk about fresh coffee when you are roasting all green beans. Let's say a couple of blocks from your house, there is a small roastery. The green bean that the small roastery has, maybe it's a green bean that was harvest and meal four months ago, five months ago, six months ago, eight months ago, because how the colony business of coffee works, okay? Mm -hmm. There is a grower, the grower makes all the job until he has something that is called a carga of parchment of coffee. He takes that carga of parchment of coffee, bring it to the small town, he sells that into the town, then the guy that buys at the town sells it to another one that brings it to a more industrialized city. That one takes all that coffee and maybe bring it to another city in which they mill the coffee. They mill the coffee and they put it into a container. They, they mill it and sort it according with the size. They bring it to an exporter. The exporter put it into a container. The container goes to a port. From the port goes to another port in the States. And from that port into the States goes to the wholesaler. And then the wholesaler has the coffee. And from the harvest at the farm, to the warehouse, into the importer, into the States, maybe two and a half months to three months, and then to the warehouse of the importer, to the warehouse of the mini or micro roaster. Mm -hmm. So it's been four months, five months, maybe. And what happened to the green bean during those four months is that the green bean has lost glutamine, fructose, and glucose, and the embryo has died because of the lack of food. Because the coffee bean, it's a live element. How do you say uh, un ser vivo? It is, um, has life in it. Yeah, exactly. Because all the plant has been working for such a long time to preserve the species through the seed. Because remember that when we are having coffee, we are having the seed of a tree. Mm -hmm. And we are taking the best of the seed of the tree, which is the element that makes the tree to be preserved as a species. I get it, yeah. Being alive, we call it in Spanish, ser vivo. It's a, it's a live seed that has an embryo that is what makes that seed to become a plant. And that embryo needs food to be alive and to make the seed becoming a plant. It needs the glucose, the glutamine, and the fructose. But those three elements, after three months or four months of the seed in the warehouses and in the boats and in the other warehouse and in the port and in the other port, 
it loses all that. So the embryo died, and what the roaster has in the micro roastery is that they have fresh roasted coffee, but it doesn't mean that is real fresh coffee. It doesn't mean that the beans are fresh. It's roasted fresh. Exactly. The coffee that you used to drink in India at your family house has a completely different flavor of the coffee that you drink in the States. And the other thing that I thought about in the process when it comes overseas from Colombia, from India, from U.S. border and customs, they probably fumigate it too because they don't want any, especially if it's not roasted. I don't know very much about it. That would alter the taste too. Definitely, because being a live seed means that it breathes, it absorbs, and it releases. And absorbing and releasing creates the integration of new components and the liberation of the other ones. Mm -hmm. So if you fumigate it, maybe it will have things added to the seed. But, I mean, I don't know how it is, and I don't know if the green coffee needs to be fumigated before going into the States or not, but the amount of time that goes from the moment that the coffee is milled until the moment of the coffee is roasted, it's very long and it completely deteriorates the profile of the bean because of the losing of a lot of elements that are really important into the moment of the roast. And that's why we talk about the real fresh coffee, which is coffee that we meal and we roast no later than two weeks after. And that's also why we are talking about the decolonization of the coffee industry, because we don't know how come we never promote the idea of roasting coffees at origin, because we believe that we don't know that and that the only ones that know it were, were the consuming countries. But as I said, I have never seen a container of grapes leaving France to make the champagne in New York. True. Champagne is made in Champagne, France. Coffee needs to be roasted in the producing countries because nowadays we have the logistics to deliver the coffee in four days to the front of your door. And those are completely fresh coffees. But not only that, and that's where the decolonization start to appear, which is if we produce the raw material, we have to add the value because it doesn't make sense to only export a raw material to add the value in the consuming countries. And I think the misunderstanding came, and even for somebody who's grown up drinking coffee and has seen the process, I always felt that when it's roasted close to consumption, not production, is better tasting coffee, which you are telling me is the opposite. Yeah. So we have now the coffee, but the flavor changes not only that it's roasted very close to harvest, the place of where it's harvested, but how it's ground, how it's brewed. So normally, Colombians, how do they brew their coffee? 80% of Colombian houses still brew the coffee in a pot, in a regular pot. Like the American drip coffee. 
No, not even. Boil water in a pan, put the coffee, stir, let it go down, and that's it. So no cappuccinos, no lattes, macchiato. Cappuccino, lattes, and macchiato is something really new, but it's not the regular way people drink coffee at home. The regular way people drink coffee at home is just as I said. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the population, if you go to the high-income people, then maybe they will have now things like Nespresso and things like that. But to me, it doesn't make sense. It's like people in France drink sparkling wine, wine from uh, or a box from Portland. Because now Portland has good uh, sparkling wines. But if you go to a French guy and said, look, I have this beautiful sparkling wine from Portland, you'll say, you don't know what is champagne. <laughs> I wanted to also share how we, as a family, we brew our coffee. It's called a filter. It's almost like a pour over. It's a cylindrical thing, which has two cylinders sitting one on top of the other. You put the powder on top, pat it down, and pour hot water, and the um, coffee percolates below. It seeps below. It doesn't percolate because there's no boiling. I find that flavor, it's not acidic and it's very robust. I don't know if that's the correct word. It's more rich in flavor in any means, like if I take it and put it in that way. But the trick is it has to be ground at that correct grind, which is important for that kind of uh, coffee filter that we use in India. It's called um, South Indian coffee filter. The pandemic, I think it was a disaster, but from many other points of view, it was a huge opportunity to settle down the things and see what the real things are and how we can use our mind and our brains to really go through things like that. Mm -hmm. So we start to hear everybody was saying that during the pandemic, people were drinking more coffee. And I said, how come all the news says that people is drinking more coffee and we are not selling more coffee? And we realized that the problem was that people at home was not buying expensive coffees because they were afraid that if they buy a very expensive coffee or an expensive coffee, they won't make it well and they will lose the money. So we start to think, okay, how people make coffee in Colombia? And we said, people make coffee in a pot. So let's design a pot that makes people realize that they can buy a very expensive coffee and they can make a very good cup of coffee because they kind of like feel intimidated by all the things that they saw the baristas making at the coffee shops, like the poor 100 grams, Wait, they go round. Wait, let's see how is it falling. Wait, another round. And that's, I mean, it doesn't make sense. So with that in mind, we said, okay, let's make a pot. Let's design a filter that makes everybody make a beautiful cup of, co of coffee at home, easy, fast, and something with the people can play. So let's talk about... Your background, did you grow up as a coffee farmer? Was your family involved in the growing of coffee? Definitely not. I came into coffee by an accident. But it's really difficult 
that any Colombian will say that doesn't have a background in coffee. And the reason is very easy. All the country has been developed in the mountains. Even though that more than 50% of the Colombian land is in the plains of Los Llanos Orientales, the, the country and the economy has been developed in the mountains. Mm-hmm. So it's almost impossible that somebody says that it doesn't have any relation or any background with the coffee industry. My grandfather born in a coffee farm, but he came to Bogota very soon when he was 14. But his father and his grandfather live in a farm, in a coffee farm in Antioquia, which is the one of the largest producers of coffee in Colombia. So it's not that I didn't have any background regarding coffee because I have to remember of visiting my grand-grandfather at his farm and watching the coffee trees and walking in the coffee trees and having all those remembers of the smell when you go to the beneficio and all the process of the coffee and having the cherries and so on. But my father came at 14. He became an insurance salesperson when I was at the university. I had the idea of creating a business of how to sell coffee in the stadiums without the people needing to go out, being sit down, watching at the game, somebody arrive with a cup of coffee. But then in the in 1997, in the 90s, I was in the export of dried flowers and I learned how to make good fresh presses. So we established in the shop an idea of offering to the customers a cup of coffee made in a French press. And people start to say, oh, where is the coffee shop? Inside of the gift shop. No, no, we don't have any coffee shop. No, but somebody says in the news that you had a coffee shop and that was a very good coffee. How come? No, 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 we don't have any coffee shop. We just offer between customer and customer a cup of coffee. So after like four years of hearing the customers asking for the coffee shop, in 1996, we said, if customers want a coffee shop, let's do it. But if we are going to create a coffee shop in Colombia that has a reputation of the best green beans in the world, we have to make the best possible coffee shop and we need to serve the best coffee in the world. And all, all that begins like that with the with having in mind that if Colombia has the best green beans, we have to serve the best possible coffee. Mm-hmm. And then I start to go to the World Barista Championships, and we start to learn, we start to travel to Scandinavia to see how they roast the coffee and how they make it. And I think that I was talking with somebody yesterday and seeing what happened in the coffee industry that is being revolutionized during the last 21 years? And the answer, or my answer to that is the following. The coffee industry before the World Barista Championships was a very old guys industry, boring with anything new. And the only thing that was kind of representative was the Italians with the espresso and cappuccinos. And anything that an Italian says about coffee at that moment was kind of the revelation and the truth. But in the year 2000, a couple of guys from Scandinavia 
decided to invent the World Barista Championship. And that championship attracts all the young people and create a revolution in the industry in which a lot of young people saw in the coffee a possibility to grow, to learn about an industry and to have a business and to be related in something new that became like a fashion and it reinvigorates the industry and completely change it. And now you see people talking about the third wave, the fourth wave, uh, the new coffee shops, the new way of making coffee. And the changes in the last 21 years of the coffee industry since the World Barista Championship starts, I would say is more than everything that happens in the last 200. How did Amor Perfecto decolonize the coffee trade? Creating the idea of roasting at origin and proving to the consumers after 24 years in the industry that there is no reason to believe that roasting in producing countries is much better than roasting at origin. We roast at origin, we deliver very fresh coffees and very high quality cup profiles and roasting in Colombia makes the value change leave more money in the producing country than the old business. According with the old business, we in Colombia only receive, let's say, five cents per cup of coffee when we export green beans, but when we export coffee roasted in Colombia, we receive maybe 25 to 30 cents per every cup. So it means that we are adding value, creating employment, using our designers, using our bags, using our logistics. So we add value in Colombia and we export a product that is ready for the consumer and we are not exporting just a raw material. So do you own the coffee plantations or do you buy from cooperatives? We buy directly from cooperatives and we buy directly from coffee growers, which are the coffee growers that we gave them the assistance to do all the processes the way we believe that made them improve the quality of the beans and improve the quality of the cup. Mm -hmm. And we pay them between twice the price of the market to 50% up the price of the market. So what assistance did you give them? I, besides the technical assistance on when to pick and how to process, what other assistance did you offer to these growers? For example, last week uh, we had a, a group of uh, coffee growers from Chaparral, Tolima, and we teach them everything about how to make a good cup of coffee. Because what we are doing is that we are offering the knowledge of everything we have learned, not only to the growers, but to everybody, to create a consciousness of what we have in Colombia and to make Colombians proud of the product and to make Colombians believe that we can transform that raw material to sell a final product 
and not keeping exporting a commodity. So you are talking about using your prized crop, your prized coffee, to elevate the international profile of Colombia. Definitely, because when a Colombian person travels around the world with a passport and with coffee knowledge, that's a Colombian that has a lot of opportunities. But if that Colombian travels only with Colombian passport, the things are going to be very different. Mm -hmm. As long as a Colombian dra travel with coffee knowledge and Colombian passport, I'm sure that that person is going to have an employee in every place when he see an espresso machine or a coffee shop sign, because it's completely different to make coffee when you born in a plantation than when, when you haven't seen a coffee tree. So there was a law which prevented Colombians from roasting and selling the coffee for domestic use? Yeah. When was that? Okay, I used to start in 1997. And when I start and when I decided to start to roast, when I was ready to launch my brand, the authorities told me that I cannot do it because the law didn't accept anyone to go and roast unless they have an insurance policy that at the moment will cost me 150,000 US dollars. Mm -hmm. And the roast machine that I bought at that moment cost me only $7,500. So why was that law implemented? Who implemented the Colombian government? The government because of a poor thinking. And the government thinks that the more green coffee we can produce of high quality to export, the better the country because they will have more U.S. currency to import other things. So they didn't understand the concept of adding value and then selling. Exactly. They didn't realize that we can export a final product. They only realized the more raw material we sell, the better our economy is going to be. So don't allow Colombians to drink high-quality coffee. Colombians just drink the leftovers and every single pound of coffee that we can export to make more money in US dollars, the better. But they use me as an example to change that law and that law changes in the year 2003. So at some point it's kind of like a very new, the roasting industry in Colombia is a really new industry. And also the other character that U.S. consumers are aware of is Juan Valdez, who appeared in all the advertisements, and it was probably a fictional character in the marketing campaign of the National Federation of Coffee Growers of Colombia, right? Yeah, he's an icon, and I think he was a very successful marketing strategy. From my point of view, they don't know how to make it actualized with the new world. Mm -hmm. They keep the same guy with the same mule, with the same hat, with the same poncho, and they haven't realized how to change it, how to tell to the world that we do not only produce a raw material. They don't know how to promote it as, you know, yes, in the past we produce a raw material. But now we produce a final product. Try this coffee roasted in Colombia. Because 
they are afraid that if they go and compete against the big roasters, then there is no people who is going to buy our coffee. So do you monitor how the coffee is grown? Is it grown organically? We monitor at some point, but the most important thing for the coffee grower is to receive the price that he needs to make all the efforts to produce a high-quality coffee in the more organic possible way. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot think about organic if the money that you pay to the grower is not enough to have food at the table. And that's a pity in the industry. This industry is very, I don't know how to put it, the word in English, but it's very weird that everybody talks about organic coffee, sustainability, biodiversity, but the coffee price is still determined by the sea market that is not related with the, the cost structure of the farm. Coffee prices are set like commodities, right? It is. So what you're trying to say is that they don't seem to distinguish on the method of how the coffee is grown. The price of coffee is set at X, and um, that's the price that an exporter from Colombia can sell it. The coffee price is determined by the capital flows of the sea market, of the New York Stock Exchange market, and is not related to the cost structure of the farm. What is sea market? But the commodity market is traded in, New- in the New York Stock Exchange in the futures. Like the hedging. Exactly. So you revolutionized the coffee trade in Colombia, but you haven't stopped there. Amor Perfecto recently partnered with Tras La Perla with Carlos Vives. What prompted you with that collaboration and what are you doing in that collaboration? Carlos Vives is one of the most famous and popular singers in Colombia and is one of those who took the Colombian music to a very high level. And Carlos has a foundation in Santa Marta that he wants, because Santa Marta is one of the most beautiful places on earth. Mm -hmm. It's the highest range mountain from sea level to 5,400 meters. With an ecosystem with every kind of sea levels, I mean, it starts at zero and goes to 5,400. So imagine all that in an area. And Santa Marta is the capital of Magdalena, and Carlos born there. And most of his music is from that region. And he wants, through Tras La Perla, he wants to support the city. He wants to give opportunities to new young people and to a lot of issues that Santa Marta has to improve. Employment, schools, health systems, teach kids how to have something to do in life after the high school, a lot of tourism, but in a better way. So we decide to go together with Carlos. We decide to have a coffee of his region. The coffee that we have in the Tralaterla is a coffee grown in the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta. Mm-hmm. So from every bag that we sell of the Tralaterla coffee, we give 5% to Tralaterla Foundation 
to develop all these programs that are focused on creating opportunities for the young people of Santa Marta to have a better life. I would say, if you love coffee, give you the opportunity to try coffees roasted at origin from a more perfecto view. We believe that we have the technology and the knowledge to offer to the consumer a coffee that is going to have more complexity, more flavor, just because we roast fresh green beans and the market knows as fresh coffee, coffee that is fresh roasted, but it's not coffee that is real fresh because what the roasters in the consuming countries are roasting are all green beans. So where can our listeners in North America get Amor Perfecto coffee? In our webpage, www.amorperfecto.com. And you will ship it worldwide? We ship it up to now to the States. You place the order, we roast the coffee, and in four days you have the freshest coffee in the world in the front of your house. That is incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much, Luis Fernandez Velez of Amor Perfecto for coming on Mindful Businesses. This has been really entertaining and um, uh, knowledgeable. Vidya, thank you very much. Hope to see you soon and have a ritual coffee drinking whenever we met. Thank you again. You've been listening to Mindful Businesses hosted and produced by Vidya Ayer. We would love to hear from you, so please send us a voice note with your questions or comments to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. We recorded this podcast in Lafayette, Indiana. Theme music is composed by Tatum Gale. Our marketing assistant is Caitlin Milligan. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.